Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Joe Thomas down in Texas. I'm here with my buddies Gary Hall and Byron Jabara up there in Wichita, Kansas. We're happy to be here with you guys today. Byron, tell, tell us who our guest is. Yes, we have Chuck Ryland on the show this week, author of several books and a couple of jiu-jitsu books. And we're going to be talking about his, his latest book, Success, The Path to Personal Fulfillment Through Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Fighters. And he goes through and he profiles several fighters, about a dozen or so, and, and just how they have used jiu-jitsu or benefited from jiu-jitsu and, uh, and reached a level of success with that. And uh, his other book is Motivation. And if you are interested or a book reader or into jiu-jitsu, which I would think you are, check it out on Amazon. I'll put links to it. They're not like affiliate links or anything like that, but to, you can type in Chuck Ryland on Amazon. It'll pop right up. Very good books and uh, really easy reads. So I, I really enjoyed those and um, glad to share him with you guys today. Awesome. Gary, how are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. How about you, Joe? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah. And Gary, you look fabulous. And Joe, you look good. So take take what you would you <laughs> Fabulous and good. You know, me and Joe talk about, you know, at our age, any day above ground is uh, is a good day. And I, mean, I guess that kind of leads us to a good quote we have this week from Gary Robbins. Uh, any day above ground is a good day, son. I don't think anyone who is given another shot at life would ever find issue with a rainy day again. And, you know, I think he's kind of talking about real life. You know, let's say uh, maybe you had a bad health scare and you realized all the little things, uh, you know, don't matter anymore. I mean, you used to complain about a a rainy day. And uh, if you get another shot at life or, you know, after your health issue or, or whatever you had, a car accident, you're you're happy as can be that you're around another day. And, uh you know, I think it's uh, we can drag this onto the mat. You know, I know uh, you got an off the mat lesson coming up here, Byron, or an on the mat lesson. But uh, I think we could drag this on the mat too and say, "Hey, uh, you know, we went to a tournament, we lost a match. You know, big deal. It's uh, jujitsu. We're going to uh, come back." And uh, as I like to say, any day on the mat is a good day, and, and I actually do say that. But um, you know, we're always going to have our ups and downs on the mat. But as long as uh, we're enjoying it, we have a smile on our face we can and we're not hurt we can always come back and um you know train some more do some more jujitsu yeah i i've recently discovered who uh gary robbins is he's a like an ultra runner he runs 100 mile races and in, in these on these trails and these crazy things really interesting guy and sometimes uh, type in on YouTube, it'll pop right up. But he'll be running, and it's just like a miserable condition. It's raining, or you know, like just something. It would be better to not run today, uh, snowing or whatever. And just like any day, you're above ground is still a good day. Uh, you know, any any day. You know, not to be too uh, too down, but like someday we're all going to die. And would you would you have one more day that was like not that great of a day? 
Yeah, probably. Like if if I could do that, if, hey, I want one more, but I want it kind of uh, like you know below average. That's perfectly fine. I would love that. <laughs> Give me a terrible day, and if it's one more that I could that I could see the people I care about and and, and get some some important things done or whatever. Uh, that's still a good day. And so I think, you know, just because we, that's how life is, we go through life, you know, one day at a time, we just kind of forget how important things are or how not bad it is. And it's, don't take it for granted all the time. I mean, it's, it's a little, literally impossible to not take some things for granted because we just become numb to how, how good things are. But, you know, if you are uh, able to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, as a hobby or as for fun like that is an amazing position to be in that you know a couple hundred years ago people didn't have the same opportunities to do things for enjoyment <laughs> like where's my next meal okay okay now what now where's my next meal okay where am i gonna sleep okay like it's just you know am i gonna live to be 35 years old all these things that that just hit a lot harder back then and and i think this day and age we have it really good and we forget sometimes how good we have things And all three of us are still above ground. Yay! For one that's more always day, a positive. Anyway. Yeah, that's positive. That's why we we have set up a, like a little video Skype thing to make sure Gary doesn't uh, clunk out that's on awesome. us <laughs> and die during the show. Because we got some amazing you, things coming your way, Gary. It's going to blow your mind and possibly explode you your heart. You are going to feel you're going to feel terrible if for <laughs> yeah. some reason I happen to pass away during this uh, podcast. Oh man. Uh, well, I, yes, I would, Gary, to be all, at all honesty. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't think it's likely, at least not this I episode. I can guarantee it. This is exactly what will happen. If Byron hears me pass away during this podcast, he's going to come over to my house. He's going to knock on the door, you know, make sure, because I'm in the basement recording this, make sure that my wife and kids know. And then he's going to come downstairs, make sure he collects a microphone, because he's already got four or five <laughs> other guys on the spot. He's going to grab my, you know, surface so they can use that. Then he's going to grab all my wrestling mats, um, all my uh, jujitsu gear, you know, so he can pass that out. And I bet that's exactly what's going to happen. He'll probably throw in one last heel hook for good measure, too. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, let's try this out. It's not going to hurt him. <laughs> it's funny. Everybody listening is thinking, no way would he do that. But probably the person who knows me best, if everybody in, in this conversation or listening to the conversation is Gary. So... You know me best, yeah. Gary. It's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Byron is really not a very good person. I just want to let you guys know. You know, he would do stuff like that. And I found out today, Byron, how long have you been married? Yes, I've been married for several years, uh, almost five. Five years. That is awesome. Um, and, you know, I was talking to Byron's wife today. I thought, Byron first off, I was a little worried about the quiz at the beginning. <laughs> Byron was never taking her to Texas Roadhouse. So, um, <laughs> I had to uh, yell at Byron a little bit today. Yeah, never. And Joe probably lives right next to Texas Roadhouse, living in Texas. Uh, they don't have down the Texas. road. <laughs> oh, do they have one, Joe? Okay, <laughs> just down the road at the mall. So I made Becky put Byron in a Kimura and crank on it slowly, and would not let go until Byron yeah. promised to take. <laughs> Despite what everything that Gary has said in most of the podcast has probably not been true, that was true this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the one that sounds like it probably wouldn't be true. Kind of crazy. Yeah. And then we got it. He's Joe. Have you been to Texas Roadhouse? Oh uh, yeah. He's telling me I got to try the hammerdew. The what? The hammerdew. 
What's a hammer do? Joe, it pounds nails in. What are you thinking? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right, guys. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Lost him. Okay. Uh, to bring this two thing back. Two. <laughs> two for two. Well, uh, check out at the end of the show. I'll air the other one that Joe uh, bid on. <laughs> uh, man. Okay. I do want to talk about a quick off-the-mat lesson. Hopefully it's quick. Uh, last week. Uh, the optimal lesson was about uh, firefighting, getting uh, the machines uh, in the proper placement before we start uh, fighting the fire. Uh, today, quick and simple, uh, one of the first people up to the door on a house fire will pop the door open. We have a, uh, tools for that uh, called the irons. It's, it's basically a tool called the halligan and then an axe. And usually a halligan gets the job done by itself. But if you need a little help, the axe is there to, to help things work out for you. So you, you, you pop the door open. And then you uh, quickly uh, will sweep the door. Like you'll get down, and a lot of times it's like immediately smoke in your face, like it's thick. And and, and you want to check the area right by the doorway to make sure nobody's like laying right there uh, as a victim. And then you close the door back up to not just feed the fire with oxygen. So that that's like standard procedure. You pop the door, you sweep it, and you close it, and then you uh, wait for the person who's going to bring the line in to uh, get 100% ready. And once they're going, you're going to open the door for them and you control the door for them. But what's really important is that sweeping of the doorway because most fire victims that are able to, to walk, as in they're not, uh, you know, like bound to a wheelchair or they're not um, ambulatory, I guess would be easy to say that, they make it a lot to the doorway. And, they, and that's where they have trouble. So statistically speaking... If someone's in the house and passed out or near death, uh, a lot of times they're right there by the door. And so we definitely we have the opportunity to check that right away. And if they're there, you pull them right out and, and you've, you know, you've gave, given them a really good chance at being able to survive this. If they're not, then you close the door and, and you prepare to go in. But it's just like we're playing the odds because uh, <clears throat> that's where people kind of get in trouble they, they fail to work the door mechanism while it's super smoky. They, they maybe get a little disoriented when they approach the door, whatever. But it's just, we're playing the odds. If someone's down, there's a good chance they're right here. I'm here anyway. Let's check it. Let's pull them out if there's somebody there. And, you know, I think about jujitsu too. Like, what are the odds you run into a rear naked choke or a, a bow and arrow choke from, you know, someone on your back? Pretty good, those two. Uh, what are the odds that somebody nails you with some weird, confusing thing <laughs> that doesn't even have a name from the back well they could definitely happen but you, I think you're far better off working on like defending the main things that you're going to see more often you're, you're more better off checking that doorway real quickly and it's definitely it's also a safe thing to do you're not going in the house getting lost without a hose line and, uh, and, and see if you can pull somebody out right there by the doorway it's just, it's just like looking at statistics and then altering your behavior so look at the statistics a lot of people are found right there by the doorway. Let's check that. Let's, then, then nobody's there. Close it. If somebody's there. Pull them out. Uh, look at the statistics. What are some of the most common submissions? Learn about those. Learn how to defend them. Learn how to, to how to use them. Hopefully, hey, that's so, simple enough. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I like that, Byron. Um, Seems see that you looked at that a little bit from the defensive side, and I was listening to you talking, thinking a little bit more offensively. When you're talking about going in and getting that victim that may be by the front door, 
if I understand being a firefighter, right, it's all about getting saves. If there's five people in a structure that's on fire and you get five saves, that's the ultimate goal. Um, but when you get there, it's like you're going for the easy one first. Like th- this one might be just right here for the taking. We're going to check and see. And then uh, if it's if there's not a victim there, then you regroup and you go in with a larger attack. And I think uh, you could sort of take the same approach with your jujitsu a little bit. There might be a, a submission from, say, De La Hiva guard that it's not your bread and butter, but maybe it always kind of pops up right away. So, you know, you, you, you go for it. If it's there, you take it. If not, you get into whatever your regular game is. You know, if you're uh, playing, um, playing close guard and you've got a pretty good uh, uh, arm bar, you know, maybe you just spin for that right off the bat. And uh, if it's there, you got it. If not, then you set up and you start getting your grips and, and you start to play your game. But uh, I, I love that life lesson. And uh, good job, man. Byron, I want to ask you about, um, you know, let's say I was in a fire. You know, okay. I know this is just going back to one part of this. And but, this, uh, this could very well be how you pass away during the podcast because the <laughs> microphone malfunctions, <laughs> burst into flames, catches your beautiful, your your fabulous yeah. hair on fire. All yeah. these things could happen right now. It could happen. You never know. <laughs> yeah. So let's just say in this room right now, the microphone catches fire. <laughs> and, or, you know, let's say, no, there's a, there's a fire outside. Okay. You know, a raging fire. So what are my best... Do I want to shut the door? You know, let's just say there's no window in this room, so I don't have a window to get out of. If I open this door, my only way to get out, I see a big fire. Do I shut the door? Do I put, you know, pillows, uh, blankets underneath the door? You know, just, I mean, I know this really has nothing to do with jujitsu, but it just got me thinking about fire safety. If something ever happens in my house and, and I'm in a room where, I can't really escape. What is the best option to do? Yeah, that's that's tough, Gary. Uh, if you so a, a door will hold fire back for quite a while, and th- th- that's why um, I don't know. So in Kansas, and or at least in Wichita, we have we have a lot of rules and, and regulations about um, you know fire safety with our buildings, and, and they're they're all over the world. But one of them is if you if you have a basement fantastic good for you whatever but if you have a basement where someone's living in it they need to have a window that they escape from and so i was gonna say i do have a window which is how i'd get out yeah that's how so you would close the door and and i guarantee you gary even a man of your strength would find a way to break that window (laughs) are you trying to say i'm not very strong but that was a nice way to put it if you leave the door open and break the window it it, you're going to find it's kind of like a chimney like that that at least if the if the fire's downstairs, the fire's upstairs, it probably won't have a huge effect on on pulling that down. But uh, they'll be it'll create a flow path through that window, and that smoke that's coming through could be super hot. Like literally, it could cook you in the window if you if you're crawling through a smaller window, and 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 like like black smoke is basically uh, almost the point of where it could be a fire. All right, like it's just superheated combustible material that's not quite hot enough to light off. Or maybe it's missing some oxygen. A lot of times, if you look at smoke um, as it's coming out of a structure, it, you know, about four or five feet up, then it's, it starts to burn. It just needs oxygen. It's hot enough. It just needs oxygen. So uh, the smoke is unlikely to, to do that to you. More likely, you get a lung full of it and you pass out and you die. Uh, and that's how Gary's going to go. <laughs> this sounds uh, like you're talking about how Gary's going to die. Yeah, episode. Should I put a towel over my face to keep the 
over my mouth and nose. To, yeah, I don't think that would hurt you. I, I do. I just think if you close that door. You, uh-huh. you have so closing you, the door you, should be my first. You thing. do have you do have several minutes of time. Like okay. I, you could you could probably even call nine one. Hey, I got a fire in my house. All right, now I'm trapped in the basement. I'm going to be exiting through the window, um, and, and then get to work. Like it's a fire doesn't just burn through even even like these hollow core doors that that are inside houses are basically you know a thin piece of metal with some air in between and or a thin piece of wood and then another thin piece of fake wood basically uh, they do hold out fire for several minutes and so that's why they say you know have people sleep with their doors closed um it could be a raging fire in the hallway and your door's holding up and, and giving you time to escape so um gary if you remind me we could talk about you know, closing doors and controlling them from within the structure uh, next week at the next okay. uh, lesson. I'll make a note yep. of that. <laughs> yep. Sorry for disrelling this, but uh, I think that's great information for, you know, somebody to have. It's something I really don't think about. And uh, when you were talking about it and dragging it back on the mat, you know, I was still back in the fire thing. And, hey, what's, uh, you know, what's a good, you know, thing for me to do if something does happen, you yeah. know, in my house or you know, my kids or whatever. So remind me next week, Gary, how to save Gary out of a bedroom, and I'll come in and get you, man. And we'll go over through some details, and we'll make it off the mat lesson of it. Sweet. Yeah, Byron <laughs> coming into my bedroom. Just what I've always wanted. That's what I, last time I did that, we're playing six different games, Gary. <laughs> there you go. Tell us about those games, Byron. <laughs> well, these are six other <laughs> games that I want to talk about now. Uh, I do have an audio book called Six Games for BJJ. And they are uh, like games to play while you're rolling and not necessarily like, you know, roll a dice and I just do, you know, arm bars. Well, that would be a game, I guess. But uh, they're going to alter your goals or your methods while you're rolling and make you roll a little differently. And you really do discover some uh, things to your game uh, through this process. And it definitely brings in some creativity and some self-discoveration if that's a word, uh, to your unique game. And I think it is. it kind of helps bring in a bit of the art to jiu-jitsu instead of just like your instructor says, here, say, do this. If they do that, do this. If they do this, you know, counter with that. And then when you when you play these games, you'll see things a little differently. And uh, it's a, it's an audio book, much like a podcast. It's a little over an hour long. It's five ninety nine, and the money goes to support the podcast. Check out the show notes or bjj.com for more information. Does that sound like a commercial at the end there? Was that BJJ.com? BJJ BJJBrick.com. Did I not say the brick part? part. <laughs> you forgot it. But yeah, I was just wondering. There's Gary that. paying attention. Oh, man. Good job, man. I didn't know if you started a new uh, website without us, you know, because I know you do have a couple private websites. <laughs> well, Gary, that's, that's true, but that's not for here. No, my wife and I did start a, uh, a travel YouTube uh, channel, but we really haven't done much with it. I'm too busy working on my next audiobook. Okay, there, there we go again, Byron. So <laughs> you will take time to work on a podcast with Joe and I, but you won't work on a YouTube channel or take your wife out to Texas Roadhouse. Man, yeah. We have issues, Byron. Man, we, we, we got to get some stuff worked out here. <laughs> Listen to Joe laughing in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, let you know, people didn't come here to listen about Byron's marital troubles. Yeah, no kidding. Came, Thank you. They, yeah, or how to stop a fire. Um, they came here to listen to the one, the only Chuck Ryland. Let's roll the interview. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. 
in one of the most dangerous acts of lawn maintenance, I can start a stubborn lawnmower with a, a barambolo. And we are not talking about a push mower. If you look closely at UFC 1, you can see me pushing a wheelbarrow full of cash. I won from gambling. I eventually invested half the money in Metamoris. And I just wasted the other half. Word on the mat is that I have an identical twin. There's really no other explanation of how I won two different tournaments at the same time. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Chuck Ryland to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Uh, Chuck, I've got a couple of your books, uh, Motivation and Success, uh, both kind of uh, look into the lives of people in uh, jujitsu, and, and we're able to glean some light, some lessons from them, and uh, I really appreciate both of them. So, Chuck, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Yeah, so am I. We've got... Uh, I have a feeling we're going to talk about a range of topics today because you have an interesting background yourself, and then you you have a lot of knowledge about these uh, people that you've written about in your books. Um, so let me just quickly get a little introduction. I've, I've read a, a bit of an introduction of you in your book, but if you could just introduce yourself to the audience, that'd be great. Yeah, my, my background's kind of eclectic and interesting, sometimes hard to explain, but the short version of what I do today, I'm kind of divided at three things professionally. I still teach at the police academy because I'm a retired police officer. I have a writing business where I write books and online and I also do coaching, kind of like life coaching business and finance and stuff like that. So, And then I still do a little bit of expert witness work for homicide trials as what's called a use of force expert. Um, so that's kind of what I do professionally these days and I'm a dad and I like surfing and scubing, scuba diving and doing jiu-jitsu and snowboarding and that's kind of who I am. Man, you, you have a lot going on. Uh, <laughs> I always think you know you can't go wrong by having uh, a few skills that really, it, like it, anyone could be a great police academy instructor, or anyone could have a great writing business, or you know there are probably thousands of expert witnesses. But when you start combining these things, and in in, you, in your martial arts experience and, and and all these things, you get a very unique person with uh, a view of the world that's. That's hard to find. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I have lots of interests because I love to learn. And in the beginning part of my life, things were kind of uh, didn't really the dots didn't connect. And then as I've gotten older, I, I've found where the dots do connect. And so, teaching in front of a jujitsu class, or teaching in front of the police academy, or writing a book, or coaching one on one, to me, it's all the same thing. It's helping someone get to where they want to go. I'm just using different forms to get there, either a book or like we're doing in a podcast. It's all the same thing, in my opinion. I've kind of figured that out. That's great. And and from reading your books, you're definitely a person who wants to uh, help others. And uh, that's, that's definitely one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Yeah, I, 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 I'm 43 now, and so that's been an evolution. And in the early days, I was more focused on myself, you know, in my teens and early 20s. And then you hit a point where, that gets kind of boring and no longer fulfilling and and you want to start helping other people reach their goals that becomes more exciting 
How long were you uh, a police officer? Uh, for 15 years, I worked at two different jurisdictions here in California, um, did a lot of different things within that field, and then I ended up getting injured in a fight and I was kind of forced out because of that injury. Are you able to tell a little bit about how that happened? Or Yeah, sure. So uh, long story short, I was – I was working detectives at the time, and so I had an unmarked car. And um, I don't even remember if I was in a uniform that day or, or in a suit and tie. But um, I think for some odd reason I had a uniform on, if I remember right. But I was driving down a street, and there was a foot pursuit going on, just coincidentally, just to the west of me, a few blocks. So that foot pursuit in police words is, you know, the cops are chasing somebody on foot. And so I heard them going over the police radio and he was hopping fences heading eastbound towards me and so i kind of parked my unmarked car on the street and i thought well i'll just wait here on this end of <laughs> oh man this and yeah and see what happens because usually they get contained by within a block or two but <clears throat> he kept hopping fences and then i can hear them on the radio they had lost him and then I, I, I just got out of my car and started looking around. And then sure enough, this guy hops over the fence. <laughs> then the adrenaline kicks in. I start chasing him. And I chased him over a fence. And it was kind of a four-foot fence. And I got hold of him as he's coming over the fence. And he fell down and it ripped me, kind of like a catapult, ripped me over the fence. I landed on my head. And then we got in a fight in the backyard. And ultimately, I got him in handcuffs. But in that melee, my, my neck got pretty injured. That's kind of the short version of a long story. So you, you basically, as you were grabbing him, you were also coming over the fence and basically landed on your head? Yeah, because what happens when you chase people is they have the lead on you, and then as he gets to the fence, you, you start to catch up because he's taking a moment to get over the fence. So he, I catch ah. him as he's on the fence hopping down, and like an idiot, I grabbed hold of him. And um, he jumps down, and it just kind of ripped me. Had I let go, nothing would have happened. But, you know, the adrenaline was so much. I want to get that guy. And so it, it kind of catapulted me over him. And the, the since it was like a three- or four-foot fence, it hooked onto my pants and ripped my pants open and flinged me onto my head onto the other side. Am I painting a picture? Does that make sense? Yeah. That 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 does and <laughs> so w when that happened did you know during the fight that you had injured yourself or, or you injured your neck no in fact i've been in so many fights like you don't feel anything it's like you get this uh, huge adrenaline rush and so um i'm i'm excited it's it's fun to be quite honest it's very exciting getting into those kind of things and so i'm just doing my thing and and uh Take, he starts climbing over another wall. I take him down. I kind of do like a double leg takedown kind of and get on top of him and wrestle around. And it, it's not that hard of a fight when you've done jujitsu for a while and other people haven't. And um, after you stand up, you're still kind of amped up. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm all shredded up from the fence and my pants are torn open and my, you know, you're disheveled. But um, I don't feel anything. And then when I got to the office, the supervisor said, man, you're tore up. Let's let's do a report and take some uh, pictures. I'm like, nah, it's nothing because, you know, you're used to, used to this kind of stuff. And then um, he goes, no, we're going to document it just to be safe. And then, man, the next morning I could not even move my neck. It was like so much pain. So 
it it didn't come I, I didn't really notice that it was anything other than normal stuff you know what i mean by that until the next day yeah and that's uh <laughs> i guess probably any job if you get hurt at work even if you think it's probably nothing document it and that uh if it is a long term thing probably helps out a lot well that's a supervisor with experience that a young guy <laughs> doesn't have right <laughs> yeah it's i mean Nine times out of ten, you heal up great, and and in two weeks, you, you, there's no signs of it. But occasionally, something ends up being an injury that you didn't expect to stick with you. And right. It just takes a short amount of time to just get that down. Yeah. So, that to me, the thing about that story that stands out a little bit is I don't know, uh, I don't know a whole lot of detectives, so I don't really know, but like, but I think a lot of them would have maybe just maintained visual of that alley or whatever and said, Hey, he's heading, he's continuing to go East or something like that. Instead of actually getting involved in the chase, they would have, I mean, a lot of them I think would help out, but maybe in the, in the less hands-on approach and, uh, and you were willing to, I mean, you were experienced with the, the, the police force. You seem to like somebody, be someone who likes the action. <laughs> so you weren't, uh, you, you know, willing to just stand by and, and watch everybody else do the work. Yeah, that's an interesting question you bring up. And so there's like an arc in most police officers' careers. Um, you know, everybody's different, but the the young, assertive, aggressive type, which was me in my first four four years or so, I, I lived for that stuff, the car chases and fights and all, all that. That was what I would look for that stuff because there's just so much fun. And um, But then I changed, so this thing happened towards the tail end of, 14 years or so by then I definitely wasn't looking forward to it and I was doing a lot more mental work as a detective you know I was in a desk a lot and um, so I I was kind of over that because you start realizing the the risk versus reward risk being paperwork and just liability and all this stuff it it no longer pays off because um, it's just not as exciting I've already been there and done it so many times and then at the same time I had become a mentor of younger officers, so training new officers in the field or training them in the police academy. So I definitely was that stereotypical detective that didn't do a whole lot of action stuff. Um, so I wouldn't be looking for it, but then when it lands in my face like a flip switch and I'm right back to being 22 years old again, you know, and having fun, but I'm not, not, <laughs> as, not as healthy as at 22. You heal a lot faster too, you know? Yeah. So. And, and I think you described that fight uh, nicely, it's is it, if you've done jiu-jitsu for a little while and you've got the new person come in and and they want to try it, they can try as hard as they want. It's not going to, they're not going to figure it out. So as you're grappling or fighting with this suspect, it just doesn't work well for them. I mean, it's not like it's super hard to grapple somebody who has no idea what grappling is. It's not even. It's like almost not even fair. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 real funny. So in the beginning of my grappling years, I was also a young cop, and um, you know, in the early white belt, blue belt, you're good enough, but you're not super super confident. So I'd get a little bit more excited and a little bit more nervous. But then, um, then you quickly realize that wrestling somebody in the street, um, you're right. It, it wasn't fun anymore because it really wasn't a challenge compared to the people in the gym, right? It's like in the gym, it's like, man, people are smashing me. And, or if I'm if I'm winning, it's not by a huge advantage. And then when you go against somebody who doesn't, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm actually pretty good. But you didn't realize it because everyone else <laughs> is getting good along with you in the gym, you know? Yeah. 
so you teach uh, like a, I think it's called arrest and control to to police officers. Describe that. What are you teaching? How does that go about? Well, the there's a curriculum in the police academy, and to some degree, it's regulated by the state of California with some broad parameters of what we can teach. Um, and so in that category is there is a full block on jujitsu. So ground fighting and stuff. We also do a little bit of stand up striking, but also included in that is things people wouldn't think of, which is handcuffing and searching people. Um, and there's a little bit of the wrist lock kind of stuff and some small amount of wrestling that we do within that curriculum. And the, the thing about that curriculum that <clears throat> the lay person doesn't know is the police officer, the average police officer who goes to the police academy and comes out, they are not highly trained. They're very, very poorly trained. Um, and it's not because they're bad individuals. It's not because we're not trying as staff. It's because the hours are so few that a, that a blue belt out of a jiu-jitsu school is probably at least 10 times better than any, any average police officer who, who hasn't trained outside of the academy is there's just not enough time. Um, and we also have to teach to the lowest common denominator. So um, that's somebody who's not athletic or somebody who's overweight or not interested in it. Um, as opposed to a jiu-jitsu school, you often have people, well, not often, always, the people want to be there and they're very interested in it. So it's two different worlds, very different than what the public would assume of a police officer's training. Yeah, and to me... A lot of that is not the the lack of, I don't know, desire for the police officer. It's just the is the 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 curriculum in the academy. Here it is. Here, I don't know if it's a whatever twenty week class, thirty week course, whatever. You get everybody through that, and then now you're a cop, <laughs> or right. they go through some sort of a field training program to where they're able to to get uh, some experience with another officer. But they they don't have that. They don't have a significant amount of ongoing training and that's really what you need to do. you can't no matter what you did if you took a, a seminar or a weekend long seminar of jiu-jitsu and then we're going to be in a, in a fight in two years like that's probably not going to be enough to help you uh, sway anything in a major direction it might help a lot but it's i mean how much better would you be to take even just once a month have some sort of a thing and 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 that a lot i look at that as at least where i'm at and and it's just like our police forces stretch so thinly that there's not a lot of time that they could take people off of the streets and put them in training environments. It's very limited. So, you know, if we have you know, 10 people working on the east side of town and to take one or two of them and put them in, you know, training with other people, you know, the same shift, it leaves the city very open. And it's just, if we had, I think, a few more people and, and maybe different training ideas as far as, uh, you know, getting some ongoing or continuous uh, ground fighting stuff, I think it would be a, a big help. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I, I find it a travesty that officers don't get more training. And here again, I want to be clear, I'm not faulting the officers as much as the politicians and the people with the money. Um, and it, it's a complicated issue because t it costs more money, which is more tax dollars. And where are we going to allocate that? And there's risks of officers getting injured in training. So there's a lot of complicated factors that get in the way. Um, but I, I don't think officers on average come out with enough skills 
to do their job safely and effectively. And I don't mean just safely for the officer. I mean safely for the suspect yeah. because the, the more trained the officer is, the more calm and collected he is during an altercation, the less likely he's going to lead to using excessive force. So it's really better for everyone, but it's a very complicated problem to solve because it's hard for the, the bean counters to 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 determine how to, they, it's hard for them to see the benefit of spending more money on training. Yeah. Especially when they have a, a tool belt full of options, <laughs> but right. like, you know, like the taser taser is not a hundred percent. It, it often misses. It often doesn't get a good connection to the body and, and all these things. Like if I, I would say this, if you're a police officer and you feel a little bit of nervousness about, like getting in fights or, or, or you just lacking confidence, do some jujitsu. And, you know, like you, I don't think you were nervous and all, and about, you know, you start your shift, wonder if I'm going to get in a fight today. <laughs> That's not right. a big, like, of course, like anything with a gun is a whole different deal, but, but, but a, a suspect, you know, getting you know, hands on with that person was not something that you dreaded or were, were fearful of. It was just something that was, was sometimes part of the, part of the game and, and you were able to play that well. For me, I looked forward to it because it was an opportunity to test myself as a man, as a police officer, test my skills. So, so I, I looked forward to it. And, and you're obviously educated. You've been around some officers because the taser thing. I, I give a lecture every semester about. Uh, you know, I, I, I train ongoing officers too, and so I've pulled at least a thousand officers through the years. You know, officers with experience, not new ones of the failure rate of the taser, and it's about a 40%. So 40% of the time it succeeds, 60% of the time it fails. And so the problem is when officers plan A is the taser, and we know it's going to fail 60% of the time, what's plan B? And for most officers, it's to pull to deploy the taser a second time. But plan B is what I try to encourage. It, it should be some sort of hands-on grappling where if you're good, you have you know the probabilities are much greater than a forty percent success rate. If that makes sense, yeah, Chuck, I'm a, a firefighter, and I've been in a handful of uh, little altercations with people. A lot of them maybe on drugs or having a like a diabetic issue to where they kind of lose control of their ability and they get kind of violent. And it's it's almost like. The person doesn't realize that they're in a full fight until they're already on the ground. Not like I slam to the ground super fast. So like maybe they push a paramedic or some another firefighter, and I kind of just drag them to the ground, and and we you know work from there. It's compared to <laughs> a more violent approach to fighting, where immediately okay, this is a fight. Everybody knows it's a fight. I'm just controlling this person. I'm keeping it from becoming a fight. Right. Yeah, most most fight quote unquote fights are not fights. They're they're a fight to escape. It's a very tiny percentage of them who stand up and say, "Okay, let's do this." Um, it's usually it, it it begins as some sort of escape and then it progresses from there. Huh. I, I would agree. Yeah, it's interesting. You're a firefighter and been in these because we have like a running joke in police work that. That if a firefighter's there, they're just part of the audience. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's no fault to them. I know they have policies and rules, and uh, there's no upside for them to getting in the middle of it. Oh, but I always it's kind get of in. a joke. If, if, <laughs> if some, especially, you know, if there's like four police officers working on somebody, that's, that's, a, that's fine. But, right. I've, you know, obviously, you're not sent to every call that we go to. And, 
and uh, you know, there's no reason to to let it get out of control before the police show up. And and right. and one police officer, and is it a fight? I'm also in that fight. <laughs> like that's that's, not, cool. that's a no brainer. That's, cool. that's cool. I love it. I haven't yeah, I've never gotten in trouble, but I haven't really uh, you know had any problems with it. So. And that's that's jujitsu, like versus being a boxer or something like that, to where I'm busting somebody up every time. Yeah, you're punching somebody in the face. You might draw attention to yourself, right? Yeah. So, I I teach a little bit at the police academies to some of the uh, to some of the recruits. Not like a formal class, but if they they have kind of a an open mat thing for their academy sometimes. And, uh, I, I like to go to that. It's good training in any way. And, and some of the ones that are sometimes struggling will come in and, and ask questions or we go over some things like that. And I, I tend to teach, uh, like, I guess this is a question of what's, what's good. Like for, for me, when I've been on fights on duty, I've never used side control. I've never used mount. And it, it seems like because the people that I'm I'm fighting are like drug addicts, they're kind of like really like haven't showered in weeks. Um, <laughs> like like it's just kind of gross. Maybe they're bloody. Maybe they're really sweaty. Sometimes I've fought naked people. Like there's lots of things that you don't want to get like side control per, up close and personal in my face next to their face. I like to use neon belly. I've used back control once or twice. But uh I really prefer showing the recruits knee across the stomach, uh, a good way to, to have control and also have situational awareness in the room, be able to look around and be able to disengage from the fight at any point in time you want to just stand up and walk, take a step back. Yeah. So I've debated that not debated. We've, we've had a lot of discussion with staff and, and here's a conclusion that we've come to um, because I agree with everything you've said. Um, but I'll, I'll come from a different angle yeah, too. Good. Is that, is that, we introduced neon belly, but we've we've shied away from making it the most dominant or the most primary tool. And here's why: I believe neon belly takes a lot more time on the mat to master uh, than side control does. And yeah. so, uh, if, if particularly if the person on top is smaller than the person on bottom, it takes a tremendous amount of skill to maintain that position. Um, so we've kind of come to the conclusion that. Side control, even with all of the disadvantage you just talked about, um, it, it's easier for someone who's not going to put in the time to master the knee on belly position. And so I guess what I'm saying is I agree with everything you're saying, but I'm adding to it and saying that knee on belly has some disadvantages if you don't, if you're not real comfortable with it, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it is. It is a more complicated uh, position than just kind of lay on them and control their head or arm or, or however you want to set the side control. Yeah, you have to be able to ride. You have to be able to ride somebody, and that yeah. takes time on the mat. Yeah, that that's true, and and uh, it. I guess the simplicity of of side control does have advantages as well. I just it, it's maybe hard to. I'm sure you've been in uh, altercations. I know I've been in. A, I can think of one in particular where I was fighting a guy or just controlling a guy, and his wife was in the background going crazy, and I and I. I wanted to keep eyes on her while I kept him from beating everybody in the room up because he was a bigger guy. <laughs> and right, right. it's like, I got to do both. And, and that, and I'm, I guess that's the skill advantage of, of, you know, doing jutsu for so long is like Neon Belly was perfect. I could watch her. I could talk to her. I could talk to him. And I didn't feel like I was overcommitting uh, to anything. And, and we've all what been in like, huh? 
Go ahead. I interrupt no, you. No, I just like we, we have all been in those side controls where the person at the bottom just holds on. And those are always the new people that suck at jiu-jitsu. But that's the thing is they hold on to you. It's like, okay, I want to get up. <laughs> right, right. Uh, one of my my coworkers, Sonny, he, he, um, he's a teacher with me. And he's, he's still working as a cop, as a supervisor, sergeant. And he, just, the, just last week he um, had this guy, took him to the ground. But there was like four other type, like gangbanger types, if I remember right. Uh, coming kind of advancing on him and so he was on the neon bell and ended up drawing his gun to deter the four other people from coming because it was just him and this this group of people so yeah like i agree like neon belly is what we're gonna do too all the time but he's also spent a lot of time on the mat as yeah. a brown belt you know so how this is a thing i run into every time i'm teaching you know you get you get four or five of these recruits together or or more than just occasionally just one or two shops like hey i I missed the the ground fighting day or hey I'm the, the worst in the class at this, and then you get to work with them but when you get a group of these people together, they're competitive, they're young, some of them are pretty athletic. How do you keep them from just going too hard i i always i give a, a talk about you know hey this is training, I want you guys to be safe you're not trying to win in here, you're both cops like I have this thing, and then within thirty seconds. They're trying to kill their classmates. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have three different environments that I'm working in, and all three of them are different. So the first environment is the police academy, where it's extremely controlled, very, very di- disciplined there. You know, it's the military environment. So there's no screwing around in that group because um, – well, the the real reason is because the, the cost of injury is too great. It costs maybe $100,000 to put these kids through the academy. So we can't afford it for them to get injured. And unfortunately, money drives decisions often. The second environment is uh, retraining um, experienced officers. So you'll have an officer who's been a cop for a year to one who's been there 30 years. And so in that environment, there's no rolling at all um, because most of them don't want to be there. Some of them are looking for an excuse to get injured. So it's just not the right environment. And then the third environment is in the public jujitsu class where they have cops or a specific law enforcement day. And in that one, it's a regular jujitsu class. So we're teaching a class and then after that we're rolling. And so the solution, just like in the public class with people who are rough is first of all, you pull them aside, say, Hey, simmer down. And then the second time, second thing as an instructor, you, you dominate that person, you mount them and let them freak out and realize, Hey, this isn't working. And after a little while they start to go, Hey, what am I doing wrong here? Because I'm acting all spazzy and nothing good is coming out of about it. And they eventually learn or they quit. That seems to be the path. (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, those are all good. And it's, it's just, I, I, I'm in a different, I guess, environment and I have people who are like in in a class (laughs) and like, Mm -hmm. and they're just competitive with each other. And it's like, I constantly have to tell them to slow down in, in in you know work your technique and, and we set up little drills to where we were actually fully rolling we're we're doing mat escapes and that sort of thing and that's nothing I I I like to you know show how to control and then I always like to show how not to get beat up and yeah. you know, getting off the bottom and you know you go from guard to standing go from side control to standing all these things that I think are are like survival skills I I think another thing that's benefited is is they wrestle with each other and then we wrestle with them later and i think they start to see like wow these guys are so relaxed and they're so f- smooth and and they're dominating us and i i think there's a little bit of an effect on them where 
that they see like, wow, these high level guys are calm and relaxed and they're not all spazzy. So I don't know if that helps, but we're also in the police academy setting, we're giving them a stern lecture about this on day one. And they have the fear of the punishment of the drill sergeant, you know, yelling <laughs> at them, giving them pushups. And so, so, so they're very disciplined in that environment. So it's, it's a uh, coming in as a civilian from the outside. It, it, it there's not quite the same authority, quote unquote authority that we have in the police academy. If that makes sense, yeah. you know, it's it's a little bit of a different world. So it's hard to say. And then I, I don't want to like make this a police training <laughs> podcast entirely, yeah. but I, I run into those problems like fairly regularly. I, sometimes we'll get a student, uh, a, a recruit, a police academy student, who they tell me this person is just too timid. They don't want to go hands on. They don't want to engage. They 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 don't want to have a fight. Like this, it's something that they could just that they don't do. And I ask him like, do you have any siblings? And usually it's no, like they, they, they never really got into fights as a kid. They never got into, and then of course as adult, we're not going out and getting fights regularly. So they just don't even understand like the, the aggressiveness that it could, they could have. And my typical solution is I roll with them and they, they kind of do this weird hands offy type of rolling where they don't do anything. And then we get somebody to coach them and they like, they tell them what to do, what to do with, and like my, I basically lose. I let them kind of beat on me a little bit and be aggressive and feel the difference of, of that. Do you have any other solutions or have you run into that problem much as people just occasional officer just doesn't have that aggressive bone in their body and they don't really know how to even just like engage a fight because like I'm sure you can see it. Somebody who wants to fight, even if they have no idea how they're going to do way better than somebody who's like, I'd rather not do this right now. Yeah. You're you're describing to me one of the biggest problems in police work right now, and um, and it's just getting worse. And there's so many factors that lead to it. One generational, you know. You look at someone becoming a cop coming out of the Korean War or Vietnam War. That generation handled disputes with fists, right? As kids, young boys, they that's what they did. Nowadays, you get suspended if you look at somebody wrong. Um, so generationally they're, they're playing video games and they're not out getting bruised up and doing more aggressive type things. So just, just the generational change in itself, but then also there's a political change too, a shift where we want to bring a bunch of different people into law enforcement rather than just big, strong men. Right. And so with that, you're getting a lot, oftentimes a lot of more of an intelligent candidate, but a little softer, right? And so softer in terms of assertiveness or aggressiveness. So it's a real problem when they come into our class. It's a real problem when they go out into the real world. But to answer your question, how do we deal with it? Uh, first, I, I want them all to succeed. So I'm pushing them and pushing them. And um, sometimes it's it's getting on top of them and I start smacking them with like open palms and I'm I'm encouraging them to get angry. I'll be like, come on, I'm going to kill you. And I, I try to make it somewhat real to where they don't think it's just, just playtime. And I, I, and I try to push and push and push. And um, there's been times where I've, I've had to encourage departments to dismiss somebody where I'll, I'll bring in their supervisors and say, you need to watch this. And we'll kind of get a little bit rough with them, not abusive, but just dominant. And, and the person will just kind of cower and be in a fetal position. And, and very often that falls on deaf ears, but sometimes they'll, they'll get rid of the candidate. So um, 
I, I haven't found the solution, but it's a real problem that you describe. I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's uh, one of the hardest jobs. <laughs> Having never done it, <laughs> but yeah. but hearing you know having a lot of friends that do it and that sort of thing is a very difficult job. And in today's day and age, it's it's probably as hard as it's ever been. Yeah. And the but the training could be better. But you know you can't blame the officers. But the officers can take this into their own hands as well. And they and they I mean you know they have, they have to spend their own money, they spend their own time away from their family. But they could train. I think if It'd be hard for me to say that somebody who's trained for a couple of years and got a blue belt isn't going to be able to to use those skills even if they stop jujitsu for the rest of their career. Like, like something about training for a while, stuff just sticks with you. Like when you when you start to grapple with a guy who wrestled, it's like, yeah, hey, I wrestled twenty years ago. I could still tell. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like put some sure. put some hard time in on the mats and train for a while, and 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 if it's not your thing, at least you've done that, and you and, and some of that will stick with you. I think. Yeah, it sounds like you're 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 saying the same things we do. So at the end of the academy, the last day, I I give the same speech every time, and I tell them, look, those of you who came in here with no background, which is ninety nine percent of them, you know, we always get an occasional MMA guy or jujitsu guy, or wrestler guy. Putting those people aside, I tell them, look, if this is all you've done, you are not prepared to go out and get into an altercation. You, it is re- your responsibility to go out and train. Even if your department won't pay for it, it's on you. It's, and I say this, I say, would any of you go out, out into the field without bullets in your gun? And they, of course, say no. And I say, well, you're going to go out in the world without bullets in your gun in terms of being able to fight somebody because you are not prepared to do this. And it's up to you. You, you can blame your department or, like you said, you can go out on your own time and, and train and I and I know all of the reasons why you wouldn't because you get family and time and money and it, and quite frankly jujitsu is just really hard it's miserable at times because it's so hard and difficult um in my opinion that's the job of a police officer is to physically take somebody and put them in handcuffs who doesn't want to go if you remove that part of the equation, then you don't need police officers, even though police officers are being assigned to all kinds of touchy-feely jobs. Uh, in the end, that's their role, is to make somebody compl- to comply who doesn't want to comply. And if you don't have the capability to do that, I don't think you're in the right business. Yeah. I always stress to the 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 people that I get in contact with is that for a lot of us, it becomes very enjoyable and that there's when you go to a, a jiu-jitsu school or, or a class like the people there are having fun and it is hard and it can be grueling but if you can make it an enjoyable thing you can become good at it like it's almost impossible to to go day in and day out and show up and have a good time and still suck at jiu-jitsu a couple years down the road it, you, you'll definitely become uh the a better version of your own grappling ability if you're willing to do those things and 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 to go into it and think of it as like life and death fighting every time maybe that's too stressful maybe that's too hard but i try to just emphasize that it can be fun that's why i do it i don't do it to, i'm not trying to learn how to fight any better than i am i'm not trying to i don't arrest people i don't you know there's there's a lot of things i don't do with it i go it's fun and i'm lucky i get a workout out of it too well, it's it's not just fun and, and, and physically good for you, even though it's hard, but it, for me, it's emotionally necessary. So there's, I'm, I'm kind of, I got injuries like many people do, like career-changing injuries, and, and I'm beat up and sore. And there's times where I don't physically want to go, 
but I make myself go. And then by the end of the day, I'm so glad I did. I'm much more emotionally at peace. I'm much calmer. I'm happier. And, and I just feel better about myself. So so it, it's good in so many different ways you know, be, besides just the ability to fight, which at this point, I will never get in a fight again in my life, you know, hopefully. If some if I do something really went wrong. But um but yeah, I, I still need it emotionally for, for my own sanity to do that stuff, you know. Chuck, I want to ask you a little bit about your books, but I gotta ask a quick uh tell me a little bit about being an expert witness. What kind of things do you get called in on? Uh yeah, that's something that happened on accident. And so um it it's it's usually where there's some sort of murder or homicide where some sort of fight or altercation took place. Um, that's usually what I'm involved in. So um, somebody beats somebody up or somebody st- stabs somebody or somebody uh, strangles somebody, something like that. And so my role in that is just to analyze the physical altercation and kind of explain what's happening physically. You know, like, for example, if someone's on the ground on their back and someone is standing over them, would it be appropriate for the bottom person to stab somebody? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But you can explain the disadvantages for the being up or down or positions and body weights. Um, and then there's a lot of the psychology involved with what's going on inside the mind during these fights and why people can't make these perfect decisions that people expect when they're watching a YouTube video, you know, someone watch a video and go, why didn't the person just do this? Well, because he's <laughs> in a fight, you know, he's in a fight. So, um, that's, that's what I do testify when I do that kind of work. I, that, that split second decision-making, a lot of times it works great and sometimes it totally fails. And I think that, you know, we could all relate to maybe not this exact example, but you could just imagine uh, getting ready to to lock your car door. With, with car doors nowadays, they don't really <laughs> – all these remote controls, all that stuff. But anyway, right. you, like the last thing you see in your before you swing the door closed is the key sitting in the car. And right. your body still closes the door. Like, mm-hmm. damn it. <laughs> like, I just locked my keys in my car, and I saw it happening, and my arm did all the work. Like, sometimes – the 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 judgments we expect uh, police officers or anybody to have, um, like if your brain sets off, like this guy's got a gun, you could you could already have fired your gun and also realize that okay that was fake that was in a real or whatever like is is things happen in microseconds sometimes in in these I'm guessing in these situations you're looking at and it's just it's literally impossible to do the perfect thing uh, with the bodies that we have. Yeah, if I, I love your example. I think I'm going to borrow that. That's Take such a it. great example, <laughs> man, because um, – and, and you look – civilians, it's even worse. Um, cops at least have a little bit of more calm under pressure. Not, not They're still humans like everyone else, so they, they still have the same fight-or-flight response. But um, like a case I did recently was where a, a guy tried to invade – do like a home invasion, banging on the door, and, and the civilian opened the door and ended up shooting the guy – and um, I won't bore you with all the details, but it, but it's important to explain what's going on in the citizen's head when somebody's breaking down their door. I mean, they're going to start to panic, right? They're not going to react in a, the most calm and perfect way as you do when you watch it on YouTube, you know? Yeah. That's as a as a firefighter, who, like routinely I'm, I'm going out two or three times a night um, going to people's houses at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock, five, whatever. And a lot of times, 
you know, they call, you know, husband's having a heart attack or whatever, and the front door's open and they're in there, lights are on, whatever. Sometimes it's dark. Sometimes I'm knocking on a door at 3.30 in the morning and I'm like, man, I hope that they... <laughs> and, and occasionally... It's the wrong address. Like the the dispatch sure. is up the street. We figured we were at the we we're at the neighbor's house. What, like things happen. It's like that's bad. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know what the we're scaring somebody in their house at you know middle of the night. Knock you know knock knock fire department. We're yelling. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're not trying to hurt anybody. It's, it's it's that's probably a fairly dangerous part of of my job that always goes under. Look like how dangerous was that? Well, in in Wichita, Kansas. Everybody has a gun. <laughs> well, yeah. So and I bet you're in some rough neighborhoods too at times. You yeah, know? and it's just you know, it, I'm sure if I knock on the wrong door at the right time, it's it's a disaster, and, and just play those odds. And, and I've been fortunate so far, and so is the guys I worked with. So, but anyway, tell me a little. Let's talk about your books. Um, I've got I've got both of them. Your your newest one is Success. You've got it uh, packed full of different uh, athletes and people in the jujitsu community who have. Uh, a lot of times overcome tremendous obstacles and it seems like jujitsu has uh sometimes been a tool in that yeah so the the i wrote two of these the first one was motivation and i and both of them they're like a prequel and a sequel they're both interviewing these people and i I wanted to know i wanted to dig deep into what motivates these guys uh to to hit high levels in the in their field you know fighting or jujitsu or whatever and um, so in the beginning book, I was really concerned or not concerned, interested in what what led them to keep pushing hard to to hit the high levels in jujitsu. And that more often than not stems from something in their childhood or some sort of adversity that they've overcome. Um, and then in the second book, Success, I did the same thing, but I wanted to go a little further and say and ask, like, what, what initially drove you and what's what now is success? Like, what are you doing now? What are, what are you after today? And how do you define success? And so they're, they're very similar books. And you're right, each person um, has had some sort of adversity of some sort and, and often use that as fuel in a good way rather than, you know, the, I think it's easy to take the path of the victim and say, this thing happened to me, therefore I can't do something. But a, a common trend in these people is something happened and I use that to to become better and so in the second book i did 12 different stories and then i I had a 13th one that has me in it this time and that's what the books are about so what have you uh learned in in talking to some of these athletes or some of these people as far as that you didn't expect um you know they have they, they have some tremendous uh, life uh, openings or or stars like like man, I'm, you know you read these it's like I can't believe this this person will have overcome you know you know living in a car with his brother where they were children, not even having you know parents you know in that situation that were you know living with them and or just just really hard situations sometimes, and then going to to getting into jujitsu and to, to to having that you know help. Uh, them become who they are, whether it be the actual act of jiu-jitsu or maybe the people that they meet in jiu-jitsu. But but what, doing some of these, or maybe you could highlight a, a story or two. Uh, what what like was very surprising to you with with, uh, with your research in this? 
Um, so uh, surprising. So the story you just mentioned was Jerome, and I'm so grateful I got to talk to Jerome because he and I, just by coincidence, we grew up together um, at least since high school, and so we knew each other to some degree. We weren't super great friends, but definitely knew each other. And so um, in terms of surprise, like I didn't know a lot of his story. And so he and I both had hardships, but we didn't really know um, each other's challenges as kids. But if you look at all of the other people, they all have some sort of hardship. And what I think is a common path with these people is is that each each person's having some sort of hardship, but there's two ways of handling that hardship. One is just to, you know, have a pity party and shut down. But it seems to me, in general, the people who do well, it's because they, they just keep moving forward no matter what. That seems to be the pattern is there's, there's a lot of adversity going on, but they just keep going forward through the adversity. And they don't make excuses, even though they have all of the reasons to make the excuses. Um, and rather than making excuses, that's why I, I use Jerome as an example. I just didn't know these things about him. I mean, he's very successful in many ways in life. Um, but he didn't sit there and complain about these things. Um, and so I didn't even know about those, about him in particular. Whereas the other people, some of them have, have told their stories publicly before, but a lot of them had not. And you start seeing this common denominator that we as humans, we're all going through this challenging thing called life. And we're trying to figure it out as we go. And we make a lot of mistakes and we have a lot of hardship. And um, um, and some of us just keep plowing forward. So I, I feel like that was one of the greatest lessons is, is you look at these people who are very successful and you realize, oh, there's there's a story behind them often that they just haven't shared. It's not been as easy as you thought it was for those people. Something uh, just hearing that from you and and not knowing, you know, that Jerome had gone through that until you're actually talking with him about this sort of thing. Thinking about teammates to to view them as as a lot of times people are going through some hard things and they don't they don't tell you or, they, or you don't know about them or you don't know the extent of it and just to to be the the best teammate you can and and be like a supportive person to where if they are needing some help, they're more likely to ask you versus drop out of jujitsu or ask somebody who is less able to help them or whatever. Just like, I think that's a, that's a big part of being, being that team is have people on the team who are just really supportive individuals. And we clearly, we all can't do that all the time. Like if you're having a hard time putting your own life together, it might not be the great time to ask you for help, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but in, in a team of uh, several people, some people have it going. I'm like, okay, like they're hitting the stride in their life and things are going well. They don't have any medical problems in their families or whatever. Like that would be a person who could really step up and help an individual who is, you know, just got fired or is going through a bad divorce or is, you know, dealing with medical problems with them or a loved one, whatever. Um, it's just, there's so much more to, to just learning jujitsu and learn how to choke each other or, you know, any of that stuff. It's like one of the lessons I learned from all, from these stories is just sometimes people are going through some hard things and you have no idea. And, and just to be the, the person who, would be approachable or be helpful or just encouraging. You, I try to encourage people who who I don't know that well, but just assume maybe they're having a rough time. And and just that positive word, man, that was a great role. Your your sweep is really coming together. And maybe that's that's something that's as simple as that is. 
it's a positive today. And when you hear 30 negatives in one day and then you get that positive, that positive feels pretty good. Yeah, I, th- I think the secret to what you're saying is just to add to it is for me learning how to be empathetic. Yeah. And as a young person, I think this is, you know, most people go through this as a young person. I was I was much more self-righteous or, or judgmental, thinking my way was the right way. I think that's common with young people. Um, and then you get older and you go through some things. And then being a cop, I've seen everything. There's literally nothing that would surprise me. And, and I don't categorize people like I did when I was young, meaning like good guys, bad guys, or, or you know, I've seen, quote unquote, good people in all positions, principals of schools and mayors and police officers have done all the bad things and had all the hard things. It's just we're all humans going through this thing. And so I'm 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 not perfect, but I rarely judge people anymore because just nothing surprises me. And I know, you know, I may not make the same choices they make, but I know I've made other dumb choices and I'll probably make some other dumb ones in the future. Um, so it's it's a matter of, of looking at people with just a place of compassion. And even if they're doing something that you don't agree with, trying to say, put yourself in their shoes and say, well, Maybe if I was in their exact same shoes, I might have done the same thing. And even if I wouldn't, um, that's okay because they're doing the best they can with what they know. And and when you have that attitude, you don't have to agree with it. But when you empathize, um, it really helps other people. It really, really helps them connect with you. And and that's all sometimes people need sometimes is just empathy. So that's that's really helped me grow as an individual myself. And this, it's oftentimes very difficult to do to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and see it from their point of view because it's like, well, this person is totally crazy. Well, actually, let's look at how they grew up or let's let's look at something. And as after being a cop for so long, I'm sure it's easy to, to see somebody as like, picture them. This guy's a criminal. He's bad. He's he's he'll kill somebody before he's 18 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But really, look at okay, how do you grow up? Look at that environment. Look, okay, he was beaten up by by a couple of guys as his mom dated for you know throughout the his years growing up or whatever, and uh, he started drinking at a super like just terrible situations. Like, of course, this kid turned out bad. Right, <laughs> or, or, like right. this is a hard living. What kid wouldn't? Turn, what what kid would become a doctor in that environment? You know, like <laughs> I think right, that's a, a hard thing for a police officer to 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 learn is that empathy because they. They they just see the end result of of a, of a struggling life sometimes. Well, and and I've thought about this in my own career as a young officer. I, I arrested a lot of people and stuff. And and if I was in, as empathetic then as I am now, I probably wouldn't arrest anybody. <laughs> but that's <laughs> that's not good because although we can be compassionate and understanding and empathetic and try not to be judgmental, that doesn't mean there shouldn't be consequences for poor decisions. We, we need consequences to, to guide us to move towards better decisions. So, so it's a really tough struggle. Like uh, you look at politics today and you have a left and a right and the left team seems to be very forgiving and the right's not forgiving. And both is a little bit wrong because you need to be compassionate and forgiving, but at the same time you need consequences. And so somewhere in the middle is probably the right thing. And so you got to have both. You got to have that stern, um, stern expectations but at the same time try not to be judgmental yeah and i think i think we try to do that with our kids right we love them but we discipline them right 
sometimes with the with the police thing, it's just about protecting people. Like this person is going to hurt somebody very badly if they keep this up. So, <laughs> like you can forgive them, you could you know empathize with them, but still you don't want them killing or injuring people um, any more than they already have or whatever. So. <laughs> Yeah, I just watched this Ted Bundy thing on Netflix. Talk about a nutcase. That guy was a complete <laughs> nutcase. But the guy that interviewed him, you know, to some degree he's trying to understand and, and, yeah. and get in his head while he's interviewing him. But at the same time, the guy needed to be killed. I mean, the guy was a bad dude. So I think you can try to to listen to them and hear it from their point of view, empathize. But at the same time, the guy needed the, the death penalty. At least that's how that one ended up and probably the right decision yeah uh, i've got your your two books here on my desk motivation and success and anybody who listens to the, this podcast and if you enjoy the interviews you you enjoy like uh getting information from people who have other experiences on the mat than you uh that's what these are basically it's like jam-packed full of really insightful information that you've gathered and and assembled for us there in these books so i definitely recommend them if if you're Listen to this podcast. I think you're a good target for for these books. Uh, is Amazon the best place to get these? Yes. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And Amazon's the best. Get them overnight or two days with Prime. So, uh, but you do have a website as well. What's what is that? Yeah, if you're interested in learning more about me or what I do, I have lots of articles similar to the book ones. Some of the book ones are online at, at chuckrylant.com. That's my last name is R Y L A N T. Chuckrylant.com. Okay. And if somebody wants to, to train with you, how would they uh, how would they find you? I teach in San Luis Obispo in California at Paragon Jiu-Jitsu, and I, I'm a student in Rural Grande sometimes as well. So those are the two places to find me. That's awesome. Uh, Chuck, I'll put links to your to your books uh, on Amazon and also your, your website and uh, your, your training academy there that you're at. Um, any final thoughts or anything you want to say to the audience? I'm just glad we got to talk. It was an interesting conversation. I, 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 was, I didn't know you knew as much about police work as you did, so it was a very enjoyable conversation. Well, thanks. It's, I'm a student of many things, I think, like yourself. You know, I'm, I'm always wanting to learn and, and uh, fortunate to be around some great officers and, and uh, keep my ears open. <laughs> cool. Great. So, Thank you for having me on your show to share with the audience. Yeah, thanks for being on here and uh, and uh, look forward to interacting with you in the future. All right, take care. All right, I want to thank Chuck for uh, the interview. I It's one of those interviews where uh, we got on one topic a little bit about law enforcement, and that's something that, that Gary and I work with quite a bit. And it just, some of the things just fascinated me, so I had more and more questions and wanted to dive deeper into that. And I think that's that's just good. I, that, that's kind of like a, you know, if something's interesting to me, I keep want to want to keep working on that, and you guys all get to, to to experience that. But it's all good to hear. You, you know, you may not be a police officer, maybe you are, but eventually you'll probably train with it one or two or several, and just to have kind of the mindset of what they need to be thinking about or, or doing, it could be very beneficial to uh, to the team and to the community as a whole. So definitely in support of. Uh, Chuck and all the work he's doing. Check out his books. They're on Amazon. No easier way. No easier place to buy something is on Amazon. Are you guys Prime members? I, I've never asked that on the show. Yes. Yeah, I am a Prime member. Ooh. Uh, my wife is, I should say. I don't spend any money on there. How about you? 
Yeah, Amazon Prime. <laughs> I'm Prime too. At least that's what I tell myself. Yeah. So he's got he's got the tattoo. Yep. <laughs> no, I actually just had a otter box delivered today. Ooh, what's an otter box for? For a phone. <laughs> Not for an otter. <laughs> I was waiting to get blasted. <laughs> I ordered uh, three pounds of up dog. What's an up dog? Oh, that one didn't work. <laughs> Not much dog. What's up with you? <laughs> I messed that one up. Oh, and- your jokes are terrible. <laughs> you know what else is terrible? Oh, boy. Signs that say, please ring this bell for attention. And there is no bell. I mean, and the signs pointed the wrong way. Do you guys agree with that? That would be a terrible thing. That that could be confusing, Gary. What are you talking about here, Gary? Yeah, hey, our article of the week is called Disorder and Chaos. And I mean, I'm not when I talk about disorder and chaos, I'm not talking about Byron's marital situation. (laughs) (laughs) Becky's gonna kill me. (laughs) Hey Gary, what's the first word in this article? Byron. (laughs) (laughs) Disorder, chaos, Byron. Byron. Yep. So Byron sends this picture that says, please ring this bell, and you guys will see uh, if you look on the show notes or at bjjbrick.com. There's a piece of paper that says, ring this bell for attention, and it's pointed the wrong way. And I didn't realize it said attention. I kept thinking it said service. I just see that now. Yeah, I mean. That's funny. but, uh, But, you know, I look at that. And it's causing chaos. It's causing disorder. Um, you know, there's a lack of clearness, a lack of distinctiveness. And, you know, I think that's uh, something we also do in jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, in jiu-jitsu, we're trying to control our opponent. And uh, it's not easy to control somebody, especially if they know what they're doing. And uh, what we need to do to uh, control them, to get a to get a submission, which is what we want, is we need to create chaos in their lives. We need to make it so they do not know what's going on. We need to have an arrow to point, you know, hey, go this way. And, you know, we'll give them subtle clues to go that way, kind of like what this company did. They gave a subtle clue to look for the bell over here. And so, you know, I may let up a little bit of pressure on my opponent to make him move one way, and and that's a way to throw him down that path. I may let him escape, but, uh, you know, control part of his body, so he's going down the path I want him to. And, um, you know, that when I see this sign, and Byron wanted us to write an article about this sign, you know, that's the first thing that came to my mind is, uh, you know, I'm going to confuse somebody. I'm going to take them into a to a very bad spot, a, past, a spot that's bad for them, but good for me. And uh, once I get into that spot, hopefully I can uh, finish with a submission. Yep. So uh, real quick here to check out the article and, and you'll see what Gary's talking about. I sent Joe and Gary a picture and said, I challenge you guys to come up with an article using this picture. Because what happens is, uh, Joe and Gary one time uh, write articles <laughs> and then a lot of times I'll go and I'll look for a picture that's appropriate for the article and, I'll, and a lot of times I just end up just typing the title and using some different font and that's the picture but I, I always put it some sort of an image with the article and I'm like let's work from backwards I'll send them a picture and see if they can produce an article uh, related to jiu-jitsu Ooh. about this and that's really what has happened and also next week the same picture will have Joe's article 
which is really good. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, Joe's article puts my shame. No, yours is good. But Joe is an accomplished author. You know, I'm not very smart, but you know, I'll always give it give it a good try. Yeah, yeah. Just, no, you did awesome. Yeah, you, yeah. you did really good on the art. The, the picture well, is funny. You think mine is good? What do you see next week? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I had a couple other points, you know. Yes. Um, that, that's the thing is, I'm a little bit of an overachiever. You know, Byron wants me to write a paragraph about what I see. But, you know, I see a couple different things. Um, you know, we talked about this, you know, disorder. You know, another thing I think is common sense. If I see that and you're always going to have a friend, you know, like, let's just take my two friends here, uh, Joe and Byron. And, uh, you know, everybody's a little bit different. We all have friends like, you know, that are totally different. Byron would walk into this thing and he would look at the arrow pointed to the left and he would sit there and look for the bell and he would just look left. He would not look any other way. Joe would come in there and he would say he would look real quick because the sign tells him to, you know, where that's what we do. We look to where the sign tells us to go. And Joe would be like, there's nothing there. And then Joe would look right. Joe would look up. Joe would look down. Joe would figure it out. Because Joe uses common sense. And, and you know, that's my second point I was talking about, common sense and, you know, dragging that onto the mat. You know, we talk about uh, the common sense on that sign. You know, with common sense, we're going to look around. We're going to find how to get, you know, service or how to get, uh, you know, attention that we need. But, uh, you know, same thing in jujitsu. And, and, you know, we need to realize that if something seems too easy in jujitsu or it probably is too easy when you're going against a resisting opponent. He's he's probably leading you down that path we talked about earlier, path of chaos, path, path of disorder, somewhere where he's going to have an advantage over you. You know, if he starts reaching inside your collar, he's probably looking for a choke, um, you know, or control posture. There's a reason somebody is doing something. Um, so, uh, you know, use a little common sense when somebody starts to manipulate you and and realize that, hey, this may not be very good for us. Um, another thing I thought about when I saw that sign is the basics, you know, BJJ brick, brick, building block, building a foundation, you know, and as we think of jujitsu, we talk about how you have to have a, have a very good foundation. You know, I think sometimes you see Byron always talks about the, the flavor of the month, the flavor of the year. And, uh, you know, let's say the flavor now is leg locks. Some new guy comes in, learns leg locks and spends all his time there. You know, hey, he's going to, you know, tap people outside of his pay grade, you know, with very good leg locks. But there's going to be a lot of the basics missing. And, um, you know, I, we definitely want to have the basics. And, and I look at this sign and this company would be terrible. I mean, they're missing their basics. They're missing, you know, their employees helping customers because there's they're making it tough for the customer uh, to find, you know, how to get some service, how to buy something. Um, so we definitely got to sweat the basics. And I do, if you look at the sign, if you guys have it up, somebody drew a smaller area <laughs> pointed into the other direction, but still not a hundred percent where it needs to be. I think that's funny. I'd miss that. Did too. You guys miss- <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you know, I even thought about this too. So this sign's probably been up a little while and you can see somebody already drew an arrow the other way. And I assume that was either an employee or a customer and the customer, let's say it was a customer probably finally did get a hold of somebody. I bet they told somebody about that. Hey, I even drew an arrow. And then the, the company still 
has not done the basics. They did not go out and remove this. Um, you know, you, you have to walk, you probably walk in this way. You're walking by it. You may see it and you laugh at it, but you still need to remove it. You know, just like in jujitsu, you know, if you have a cancer in your gym, you know, you better remove it, uh, before it permeates and, and, you know, makes your school, you know, not as good as it should be. Um, you know, if you have a school, you want it to look nice. You, you want to make sure the, uh, the windows are clean. You want to make sure there's no, you know, hypodermic needles in the parking lot, no <laughs> empty beer cans just lying around, you know, just little things like that, you know, pride in your company, which is, uh, you know, a big basic rule right there. Yep. Gary, you knocked it out of the park, man. I love Thank this you, article. Joe. Yeah, you bet. Something that I think all three of us have missed so far, though, is, and this really drags it back onto the mats very easily. If you took that sign and just turned it upside down, the arrow would be pointing towards the uh, button we that, would ring, need, that would ring the bell. I know the writing would. I know the writing would be upside down, but it's just like in jujitsu. We many of us tried to fight the Barambolo fad, but you just can't avoid. Sometimes you got to get inverted. <laughs> Joe, that's awesome. I did not think about that. You are correct. It, just to turn it a little differently on you, Joe. If you turn the sign ninety degrees. You can get the arrow to point just at it, and the words will be just sideways instead of upside down completely. And so sometimes just be, inverting a little is enough. Yeah, you never want to be flat on your back. Sometimes just <laughs> getting up on one shoulder is good enough. <laughs> but I still want to know where the bell is. I mean, I see a button. Well, I assume that the button rings the bell. Okay. Please and push there's a sign, And there's a sign to the right of the button that says, please for assistance. <laughs> we can only say that part. But I bet it says, please ring for assistance. I bet that one does, yeah. It probably says, please wait for assistance. <laughs> <laughs> it might say that. <laughs> Indefinitely. It could be five minutes. It could be five hours. Yeah, but please can. wait. But the good thing is if you're waiting for five minutes, you could always get the BJJ Brick app and listen to the BJJ Brick podcast. Wow. And, uh, where, that way you're not wasting your time. Where would they find it, Gary? They would find that in your uh, Google Play Store. Or in the Apple uh, iTunes. Uh, iTunes Store. I'm sorry. Either I'm not one. An Apple they're guy. both there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not yep, an Apple guy they're either. There. But they're, they're both. Both stores have them. So check out those stores. And they're free. Joe, we got an email in. We did get an email in. Uh and I have to go to the other email to find it. <laughs> we got an email in uh, from David. David has been listening since October. He loves the show. We, we appreciate that, David. He just has a little uh, kind of a question. Uh, there was a seminar uh, near his school, and it was rather expensive, like $225 per person. And a few of the students were able to go, but a lot of them wanted to go, but they couldn't afford the, the full price. And if it was a little bit less, some probably would have been able to make it. And he wanted to know if we had any ideas with kind of setting up some sort of uh, like a little – like a kitty, like a financial thing to help people uh, not necessarily sponsor the whole the whole seminar or like maybe help people pay for a tournament or something like that. Just kind of a, a little fund to help the, the students uh, go the extra mile in jujitsu. And I just wonder if you guys had any ideas about that. Yeah, I had a couple. Um, in fact, I, I shot him back a quick email or – Byron forwarded and on. Um, and, and the first thing I thought of is nothing just stops you from doing it individually. So uh, if you want to go through your coach, that's fine. Most coaches are more than happy to help. Let's go up and say, hey, coach, uh, I'd like to give you $50 to help 
whoever you think needs it. I, I, I've done it before. I always trust trust my coach to pick the right guy or person. Um, so you, you can do it that way. Just give your coach $50 or ask two or three of your, of your good training partners, say, I'd like to help somebody go to this next tournament. Um, and uh, just do it that way. What do you think, Gary? You know, I think that's great. Um, you know, I like what you said about, you know, you trust your coach. Your coach knows who uh, goes and, uh, you know, put a little bit of money there to your coach and, uh, you know, let it help out that way. It's just going to help your whole school and uh, it's going to help the whole team get better. Yeah, I've done something similar, but, uh, you know, if there's a seminar coming up and somebody wants to go but they don't have – quite enough money so i'll get you the rest of the way and uh and the good thing the selfish thing is that is you could have them as a training partner so if it's somebody that you relate training with uh and they're not able to go yeah it's it's a hundred dollar seminar i've got 70 bucks you know what i'll cover you the rest let's uh let's, let's, let's go to the seminar man and uh pretty easy and it's it, it, that way you could pick your coach could pick um you know like kind of how joe's doing and uh very it's it's very nice to have a teammates like that that uh, either just let the coach decide something like that or if you uh, maybe you you know a competitor who is really wanting to get some experience out there on the competition scene and some things are kind of tough maybe it's you know with with money and, and getting funds for hotel rooms or to enter in tournaments or whatever helping them out could be something that you could do not just training hard with them so it uh, yeah that's that's it's a neat idea uh one of the things I thought about this was just ask the coach and say, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, cause a lot of, several of us would have liked to go, but this is a pretty big price uh, to, to have. And could we kind of in the future have some sort of a fund where we have, have a little bit of money set aside to help people out and, uh, and to do things. But the, the, the issue with that maybe is that you have certain expectations for that money and you put somebody in charge of it. And let them be in charge of it. So if they want to help out somebody that you're not best friends with, whatever, <laughs> it's just to, or maybe you be in charge of it if that's if that would be an issue. But it's kind of like, uh, you know, you give somebody a gift and they don't like it, you gave them that gift, or you give somebody uh, like 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 a gift of money and they squander it on something. Well, like you just need to let that go. And you know, like <laughs> maybe I'm not talking about this in the proper way, but like. If the coach wants to give it to somebody who you think is the wrong choice, that's you're laying that up to the coach. Uh, that's something kind of like with the, the fund uh, issue versus just giving it to somebody. But it sounds like Joe's, it's worked out for him. Yeah, I, I had a thought, though. Um, I don't know if either of you have seen this in a jiu-jitsu gym before. I have not. But when my kids were little, um, you know, going to youth group and going to, uh, you know, church or school functions – there's always kids that can't afford every function that comes along. And there's oftentimes like a scholarship fund available. People just give that fund. I don't know if uh, any jujitsu schools have ever considered doing that. You know, you just have a, a little running fund and uh, let the coach be the administrator of it and uh, help offset the cost or some of that kind of stuff. I don't know if anybody's tried it. It's an interesting idea. I, I guarantee you, Joe, like you said, I, somebody probably does something like that. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like what Byron said about, uh, you know, it's really, you know, Byron, the administrator, when he's helped somebody out. And, and I know I've paid for somebody wanting to go to a seminar and couldn't make it. Um, it's, you know, I, I jujitsu has some incredible people that uh, do stuff like that. Like, 
you know, I've played a lot of sports, but it seems like jujitsu has people who are always trying to help others out, um, which is kind of neat. But yeah, that's a good idea, Joe, about the the school having a having kind of a slush fund or something to, you know, for, uh, you know, if somebody's in need or somebody, you know, wants to go there or, you know, go to a seminar. I think that's awesome. Yep, it's a good idea. I, you know, as somebody who's been training since October, so, uh, you know, a few months, four or five months or so by now, uh, maybe that's your role in that position is just to introduce the idea and, and maybe entertain it as an idea that that's, that somebody with uh, maybe your coach or maybe one of the upper belts would, would, would do that. I don't know. Maybe they're fine with you doing that as well. I mean, anytime at, at, at my gym at Fox fitness, anytime somebody wants to step up and do something like that, Jake seems to be super supportive. You want to do this and help them? Absolutely. Put together a little <laughs> fund and, and this, and this, and this, you know, something like that easier to start small. You don't end up with the, with the fund having like three grand in it and you're trying to figure out what to do with all this money. No, once it gets a little bit of money, say, okay, we're, let's look at how we can help somebody out. And, and that way it doesn't become like a big issue. And, you know, obviously, guys, contact Gary uh, for any help with taxes you need. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give his, out his personal email in a little bit. <laughs> yep, Welcome, you're in Gary. trouble. You're, I was going to say, anybody having me do their taxes, major trouble. <laughs> but we do appreciate the email. And uh, if you want to send us an email with a question, uh, like David did, bjjbrick at gmail.com, or you can ask a question through our Facebook fan page. That's also an easy way to do it. That's probably a quicker way that we all three could see it fairly quickly and uh, get get answers to you. But uh, it is fun to answer them on the show. I want to quickly mention some of our uh, our biggest fans and supporters, uh, Rodney, Dane, and Nathan, for their support on Patreon. Uh you could find Rodney, Dane, and Nathan by looking at their geese, and they probably have a nice, beautiful, or as Gary would call, fabulous five-inch BJJ brick <laughs> gee patch attached somewhere to their gee. Because uh, when you support us on Patreon, we'll mail you out a uh, five-inch BJJ brick gee patch and a sticker as tokens of uh, thank you for your support. And what Patreon is, is you could, most people sign up and they, they'll pledge a dollar per episode at the end of the month. It charges you, you know, however many, I guess, however many Mondays there were that month, how many episodes we put out and the money goes to support the show. And it's been a tremendous help and it's really helped us grow and uh, maintain a level of professionalism. I can't say that. Maintain a level of audio quality or let us, <laughs> man, so many things I can't really say without, without we chuckling. We would have had to have a level of professionalism to begin with in order to maintain one. <laughs> we're, we're hoping to expand some of the, the things that the show is doing. And uh, of course, much like a, like, like a fund of money uh, that, that uh, David is talking about, uh, money helps any business run a little smoother. So thank you guys for your help on Patreon. It means a lot. And if you're interested in helping us out, check out the link in the show notes. You know, Byron, I was just thinking about something. You know, you're talking about, you know, getting money through Patreon, you know, ways to help, you know, to get to a seminar. And you told people you're going to give them out my personal address, email <laughs> address and phone number to do their taxes. I could just mess up on taxes and think of all the money I could raise that way. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, hey, definitely uh, send me your tax information. Uh, you, I promise you won't be sorry. Well, 
you probably will be sorry. Yep, the, Gary has really opened up a whole uh, can of opportunities. And uh, that's not a can you want to open up at Gary's house. Because <laughs> it smells like tax fraud. <laughs> I'm excited about next week, boys. What do we got next week besides uh, you talking about uh, firefighting again? Oh, remind me about that. So uh, remind me about saving Gary in oh, the bedroom. yeah. I know what I'm excited about. Joe's article. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and uh, next week is a topic episode. We're going to be talking Ooh. about top control. So uh, a lot of different areas in that. But uh, basically... Top control, how to keep it, how to maintain, how to get it, uh, tips and advice from Gary and Joe about all things top control. And I might have a few things to throw in there as well. Yep, and Byron said he was going to call it Smash and Trash is going to be the name of the episode, so you can't miss <laughs> that episode. That just says top control to you, huh? That says top control. <laughs> hey, it rhymes. We'll see. <laughs> Definitely see. <laughs> All right. Well, I think with the uh, good times we've had so far and a couple of terrible jokes we've we've told, uh, we're good to wrap this thing up. What do you think, boys? Keep calling you guys boys. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> okay. All right. This, this, ladies, let's keep this short. Yeah. Well, I know why Byron calls us boys, Joe. He's uh, He has a fantasy about boys, and uh, we can talk about that in uh, another episode. Yeah, <laughs> Gary, your legal troubles pale in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, people don't hate me in prison like they're gonna exactly. hate Byron. <laughs> wow. Yeah, ta- tax evasion—they'll come to you for help with that one. Yeah. Like, oh man, you get you get, you get do the warden's taxes. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> you'll you'll Byron, be out in no time, brother. Byron, that money that I'm getting from all the taxes—I'm gonna hide that under a tree. You know, over by the stone fence. Yeah. So right before you get to Mexico, just go out and, uh, and uh, well, I don't know if you'll be able to cross the border. I mean, because we may have a fence at that time. <laughs> it only works one way, Gary. Come on. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll catch All you guys right, next week. Man. Stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Train hard, train smart, get better, guys. We'll see you on the mats. Don't forget the hammer, dude. What the hell's wrong with you guys? (laughs) Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. We got the the email. Uh, Oh, the Henway? Yeah, from from David. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll talk about the Henway. Did he say how he's getting stuck in it? You know, no, it it, it doesn't cover that. But we'll we'll figure out ways. Hey, well, okay. Wait, what are you guys talking about? What do you mean? The guy is <laughs> he's getting caught in a henway every time he goes for a single leg, and he says he's getting tapped out left and right. I copied and pasted so, the wrong email, Gary. Yeah, that's. I'm looking at this and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? You pasted the wrong email. Yeah, yeah. This I pasted oh, the email you did the one from, on the guy yeah. that Joe answered. Yeah, not the Hinway. Well, I don't care what one we do today. I mean, I mean, we, has everybody thought about because about the Hinway? The only reason I brought it up is you brought it up this morning. 
What's the so hen weigh? Hey, hey, back up a minute. Okay, what was that? What's a hen weigh? About four or five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> man. I'm sitting here Googling this shit. <laughs> Just let you know that's going on in the after the show for the bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Man, one of these goddamn new jujitsu techniques. I'm not <laughs> yeah, aware no of. Kidding, man. <laughs> like, uh, so many new ones. The Henway. That's a good one. <laughs> not really. <laughs> uh, okay, so we are talking about how to raise money to help. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, good, but these guys clearly don't act like they think I know it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>